I believe with all my heart, the truth of that song, in fact, that is a very truthful song. Um, the right arm, left arm thing, that's just for fun. Uh, but the song says, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. And for many who think, well, I'm not really sure that that's true. Is that really true, Pastor? You know, I don't really come from Abraham. Isn't that the Jewish people? That is the Jewish people. But you can't talk about some of the classic stories of the Old Testament without talking about Abraham. There is no one event that I'm going to focus on with Abraham. In fact, we're going to go to a number of different places in the book of Genesis uh, to talk about Abraham, but both in both Old and New Testaments, Abraham is a pivotal character. And the reason why we could sing that today, let me just get ahead of myself a little bit, the reason why we could sing that in absolute truth today is because of Paul and Paul's writing stating that Abraham is the father of us all in the faith. Because... Hundreds of years before the law of Moses ever came to be, Abraham believed God, and we're going to read that scripture in a moment, in just a few moments, but the Bible says in Genesis 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. So it is by faith. Paul used that to establish that everything that we have in our Christianity and everything that we do, everything that we have is received by faith, not by the law. The law, he says, couldn't make anybody perfect. And he uses Abraham as the absolute pivotal example of New Testament theology and New Testament belief in grace and receiving grace by faith. For the Old Testament, he is looked back on as the one through whom the covenant with Israel was established. God promised to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. We look back on history now, and God, in fact, made this elderly man a great nation. In the New Testament, he is seen as the father of us all in the faith. And Paul shows Abraham to be the foreshadowing of those who would receive the blessing of salvation by faith, both Jew and Gentile. He says, Abraham is, in fact, your father because you believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins. You receive salvation by faith, not by works of the law, lest anyone could boast, but by faith alone. In the New Testament, Paul writes extensively about Abraham. The writer of Hebrews commends him for his faith in Hebrews 11. While earlier in the book, he talks about Melchizedek and Abraham's encounter with this very mysterious uh, priest and king, king and priest by the name of Melchizedek. We'll read about him in a little bit as well. In fact, 10 books out of the 27 New Testament books, talk about Abraham or mention him. In fact, that is second only to Moses, who is mentioned in 12 of the books of the New Testament. David is mentioned there as well in nine books. 
But Abraham is right up there, and the discussion about Abraham is extensive, especially in Paul's writings and in the book of Hebrews as well. But what was it that set Abraham apart in his generation? What is it about Abraham that is an example to us today that we would take a message, a sermon, a block of time and discuss him and talk about him that in the New Testament, the New Testament would so highly testify about him. Even Jesus mentions Abraham and when the, the, uh, on a couple of different occasions when the religious leaders said, we are of our father Abraham. He said, no, no, you're not. You're of your father, the devil. On another occasion, he said to them before Abraham was, I am pointing out the fact that Jesus knew Abraham long before. He didn't know about him in writing. He knew him because of a relationship that Abraham had. But there are three things that I want to point out today that sets Abraham apart, that causes him to be an example for us believers, us in the New Testament age. Our faith isn't based on the law. It's not based on how well we perform as Christians. Our faith is based on grace and grace alone and the faith that can come as a result of an encounter with Christ. So what was it about Abraham? The first thing is this, that he was, in fact, a man of faith. And by faith, I don't mean he had a faith. He had faith. He trusted. He believed. When God showed up and spoke, in fact, let's read now in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read down through to verse 5. Genesis chapter 12, we'll read down through to verse 5. The Bible says this, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That's something we deal with on another occasion, but it's very important that when God blesses you, that you become a blessing. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So, here it is, verse 4. This is what we're going to get to. Verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. I want you to see the very first thing that shows that he was a man of faith was essentially verse 4. Verse 4 says that when God said to him, get out of the land that I am going, the land that you're in, your father's household, everything that you're familiar with, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you, the Bible lets us know in verse 4 that Abraham left. Brothers and sisters, what is it 
in our own lives that shows our faith. I'm touching on a point that I touched on last week already with Noah. But nonetheless, let's deal with it again because it's important. You see, faith has to be shown and is shown through one thing, obedience. We can say we have faith all day long and never do anything with that faith. You can say you believe God, and if you're not doing anything about that faith, is it possible that maybe we do not have the faith that we think we have? I want you to know that every single individual in the Old Testament and in the New Testament who claim to have faith and who are shown to be men and women and giants of the faith are individuals who said, yes, I believe you, God, and then they did something about it. The Bible says here in verse 4 that after God said, get up and go, Abraham got up and went. And brothers and sisters, it has to be the same for us in our daily lives and in our lives as believers. That if we say we have faith, we have to live like we have faith. If we are living in any other way, any other form, that somehow our faith means nothing, then brothers and sisters, can we really truly say that we have faith? He is an example both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Paul wrote and said he is the father of us all in the faith. Why? Not because he said he had faith, but because he showed he had faith. He acted upon what God had to say. If we do not act upon what God has to say in the Bible and in the word of God, then can we truly even begin to wear the label Christian. That, that label is thrown around so commonly among our society and in the world today. If somebody somehow they were brought up in church, well, I'm Christian. Why? Are you following Jesus? Do you do what Jesus is telling you to do? Do you live in a manner that pleases him? Now nah, I do what I want. But you know, because my parents were raised this way, this is what I am. That does not necessarily mean you are what you say you are. Brothers and sisters, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is there. When you decide that you are going to give your all to Jesus Christ, then it's time to live for Jesus. It's time to live for him. Now, not only did he show it by his obedience to leave his homeland, everything that he's familiar with. And on occasion, God calls us to step outside of the comfort zone of our lives. He calls us to step outside of the familiar and what it is that we know and cause us and, and tell us to do something. Are we willing to do that? But there was something else that happened, and I'd like you to turn now to Genesis 22. Genesis 22 and it was this, that God, he trusted God when God told him to offer Isaac. He trusted God when God told him to offer Isaac. The Bible says this. I'm not going to read this whole chapter because it is, there's a lot to it. Or read this whole passage. You could read down through to verse 19 to get the whole story. But God had already given him. Uh, he had already tested him in one way or another, but God promised him a son. God had given him a son, and it wasn't Ishmael. It wasn't through uh, that means and that avenue. It was his own flesh and blood, born of Abraham and Sarah. And now Isaac was, was growing. We're not really sure how old Isaac was at this point. 
But the Bible says here, it says in verse 1 of Genesis 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Say, hadn't God really tested enough? Wasn't that enough? You know, whatever kind of tests already. I mean, think about it. He was 75 years old when God spoke to him and and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He had to wait almost 24, 25 years before Isaac even showed up. Isn't that test enough? Waiting? How many of you like to wait? Right. Neither do I. None of us like to wait. We, we don't like to wait around, especially if it's something that's sort of inconvenient. But he's waiting on the promise. And, you know, you've got to imagine that somewhere along the way, I, uh, uh, J, uh, Abraham is sitting there saying, you know, I, I'm 85 now, God. Ten years. No son. What's up with this? He's now 100 when he shows up. But later on, God says, and here he tests him again. Here I am, he said. Verse 1, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains I will tell you about. You want to talk about a difficult thing to hear? Very, very difficult. Your only son. This is the promised one that I promised you. And now... God is testing him. He didn't know he was being tested. He didn't know any of that. But I want you to see what happens next. Look at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, He set out for the place God had told him about. I'm going to stop reading right there. But the Bible lets us know this. As you read further on down through this chapter, the Bible lets us know that he gets to that place and he lays his son on the altar and it seems as though he is ready to carry out God's command and God stops him. I don't know if he was on the downward motion of that knife. I don't know what was taking place. All I know was God said, okay, I see that you trust me. I see that you believe me. I see that you are ready and you are, you are, the promise is going to come through you. I want you to stop. Look over there. And he said, I've provided a lamb. I want you to know that when they were walking up that mountain, Isaac said to him, you know, Dad, I see the wood for the fire and I see what we need to make the fire, but where's the lamb? We need a lamb to offer as a sacrifice. That's what we're supposed to do. He said, God will provide a lamb. I want I want you to know, brothers and sisters, Abraham didn't know how God was going to do it. Abraham didn't know that it was going to be at the last second that God was going to show up. But every now and then, brothers and sisters, when God begins to test you and you feel like you can't take it anymore and you're going through, but yet you're being obedient to God, God will show up in that last minute and say, I am going to provide for you what you need in this situation. Here it is. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, trust is certainly better than rebellion. Trust is certainly better than running away from God. Believing God will always, always bring a reward in your life. You say, when, pastor, when is it going to happen? I don't know when. I just know that God's word is true, and he showed up just in time for this man. Turn over to Hebrews 11. You've got to see what Hebrews says about this event, because this really sums it up. Hebrews 11 and verse 19. Over in the New Testament, the Bible says this. Hebrews 11 and verse 19. The writer of Hebrews is going through that list, that wonderful, great list of those who had faith and believed God. The Bible says Abraham reasoned. There is a revelation of what was going through Abraham's mind. This revelation could only be revealed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because Scripture does not necessarily, in fact, imply or state what was going through Abraham's mind other than his statement, God will provide a lamb. And then his going through this action of beginning the process of of sacrificing his son. But the Bible says Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. In other words, in his mind, he's thinking to himself, even if I go through this, he has promised that, the, that, that I would be a father of a great nation and that through this offspring, there would be a, a nation that would arise. And so I believe that even if I go through all of this, that God's able to raise him from the dead. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's faith. When it's, you know, you can look at something, you say, if there's a glimmer of hope, you can believe. But isn't that really just sort of hope based on what you see? Faith is not based on what you see. It's based on seeing that it's absolutely hopeless. And yet in the middle of it all, you can say, I believe God is in, is in charge. I believe God will come through. And the Bible says that he believed that God was able, that God could raise the dead. And he says, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac from the de- back from death. You know why? Because in his mind, he was as good as dead. Because he was going to go through with it. God saw that he believed God, that he elevated God above everything else. And I want you to know that God provided for him exactly what he needed. So Abraham was a man of faith, a man of great faith. And brothers and sisters, we have to believe for the impossible. That's really what Hebrews 11 is all about. But that's what Abraham personified. In his life, that's how he lived. He lived believing in the word of the Lord. What are you going to believe today? Are you going to believe what the doctors have said? Are you going to believe what your family has said? Are you going to believe what those around you have said? Or are you going to trust in God and say, God, I believe you. I'm going to trust in you and believe you no matter what is taking place. It may look hopeless in front of you, but can you just open up your heart and your mind and say, I've got a God that's bigger than all of that. I've got a God that's greater than my problem, that's greater than this difficulty. He is bigger. Let me believe and trust in him and him alone. Now, Abraham was also a man of prayer. Abraham was a man of prayer. Uh, is, go back to Genesis 12, and then we're going to turn over to chapter 13, and then we're going to hit 15, and then even 18 a little bit. But the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. It shows us 
that he was a worshiper. That he was a worshiper and he called on the name of the Lord. Look at what Genesis 12, 7 and 8 says. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So, the Bible says, He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went onward to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord, and look at what it says, and called on the name of the Lord. Go to chapter 13 and verse 14. This is a separate event, something else that took place. Chapter 13 and verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, east, and south. And then it goes on, and all the land I will see you, I will, I will give to you. Go through, I've got the wrong verse of scripture. Uh, verse 14, I, you know what, I, I've got the wrong one. But there's another one in, in verse 13, or chapter 13, that tells us that he built an altar. I'm not going to take the time to look for it. Let's just look up here for a moment. But the Bible tells us that he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. In, in every, verse 4, verse 4, sorry, I wrote 14. Verse 4, that he did that, that he called on the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, the thing that makes us great is not whether or not people know our names. The thing that makes you great in the eyes of God is going to be your faith and your dependence on him. And the dependence is not only shown when you obey him and you believe him, but it's when we pray and when we call upon him. When we worship God here in the beginning of our services and we cry out to him and we worship him, I want you to know that that is an avenue through which we can encounter a great and a wonderful God. It is a time where we can experience his grace and I want you to, to understand today that worship is more than just a filler at the beginning of a service it is a time for us to focus our attention upon him and Abram at this moment in time in his life the Bible says he called on the name of the Lord he built an altar he worshiped God and then he called on the name of the Lord Calling on the name of the Lord, brothers and sisters, is vital for everything that we do. Everything that you are, you must pray. You must call upon the name of the Lord on a regular basis. Some of you, maybe the enemy has crept in and he's gotten away from it and he's gotten, he's gotten you away from praying as you ought to. Can I encourage you, get back to that place of prayer and say, Lord, let me follow the example of our father Abraham who was a man of prayer, he worshiped and called on the name of the Lord. Not only that, go to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. And that is that he also prayed about his own personal destiny. Do you know that God cares about what you do, who you are, where you go, about your life? A lot of times we think, well, it's, isn't it really just only about eternity? Isn't it about just having Jesus in my heart to make sure that you know, later on in life, later on, whenever it is down the road that when I die, I, I, I go to heaven. Well, that's only part of it. God has so much more in store for you now. 
God has more in store for our young people now than what they can even begin to imagine. That now God can use you to do great and mighty and awesome things now. And the Bible lets us know this in chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. But do you see what's happening here? Prayer is interaction between God and man. A lot of times we think, well, I'm praying, so let me just get everything off my chest. Ah, there, I feel better. But there's more to it than that. God was communicating with Abram, and Abram was communicating with God. And for all of us, brothers and sisters, when we pray, it takes, we've got to take time to hear what the Spirit says to our lives, to hear what God has to say to us. Get the Bible in front of you. Find out what God has for you on that particular occasion. And God was telling him, no, Abram, I want you to know that my plan is still going on unhindered. And you know what? At the end of it all, you know what he did at the end of that prayer? He reached out to God in faith one more time and said, I believe you. And the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is where Paul takes off in the New Testament. You credit it to, in righteousness. I, I, whatever we have going on down there, I need to make sure that it doesn't continue. Okay? Please, help me out. Whatever the little sounds are and so on, the talking, please. Just stay with me here. Okay? But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the important thing that, that we have to understand is that prayer goes upward to heaven and it's believing in a great God, in a mighty God, in a powerful God, in a God who is able to do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Now go to Genesis 18. Genesis chapter 18. And here is something else that he did in prayer. Prayer was not just about worship. It wasn't just about God. It wasn't just about his own personal destiny. But prayer turned into something else that is even more powerful, and it is intercession. It is reaching out on behalf of somebody else. Genesis chapter 18, and uh, let's start reading at verse 16. And the Bible says this. It says, when the men got up to leave, they looked towards so down towards Sodom. This was right at the point where God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their great wickedness. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram, Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct 
his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised for him. Verse 20 says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away and went towards Sodom. Now look at this. Verse 22, but Abraham remains standing before the Lord. He's standing there. God has just revealed what he is about to do. He is about to destroy all of Sodom. He's revealed it. He's given inside information to Abraham. And Abraham doesn't go back to his tent and go back to Sarah and say, you know, I think we better move right now because things are about to get really bad around here. You know, I think we better just preserve ourselves. But instead... Here's what he does. And I'm not going to read the the rest of this, the entire thing. But there is a progression that goes through this. Verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if, and here it is, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will you not judge all of the earth and do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but just listen to this. The Bible lets us know that in this moment when he heard what God was going to do, the Bible lets us know at that moment all of a sudden, Abraham was was struck by this, this intercession. This God, I've got to reach out to you on behalf of other people. Dear God, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would help us to pray for others as we should. Because you know what? Abraham, all of a sudden, he looked down on that whole city and he said, wait a minute. First of all, I know my nephew Lot is living in the city. And he goes down through the list. He said, what if there are 40 What if there are 20? And he says, what if there are 10 righteous? He finishes up with 10. And God says, if there are 10, I will not destroy the city. We know the story. And when you read Genesis 19, God destroyed the city. There were not 10 righteous people in that city. Not 10. But what did he do with the few that he considered to be righteous? He extracted them and pulled them out. Why? Because one man said, God, I'm going to hold you to your word. I'm going to hold you to your character and who you are. Dear God, I'm going to cry out to you on behalf of others, brothers and sisters. I know it's easy for us to pray for our own personal problems and our own personal destiny. And those are the things that we get most concerned about. But God, lay the burden on us so that we can pray for others and see great things take place. Brothers and sisters, when we begin to pray for our neighborhood, pray for our community, pray for our co-workers, pray for our families, pray for our young people, pray for everybody, I want you to know that God will begin to do great and mighty things through the avenue of prayer. He interceded for Sodom. His prayer was a petition for others. And not only that, as you read down through the rest of that chapter, his prayer was persistent for others. And it has to be the same for us, that we would be persistent in how we pray. There is one final thing that I want you to see, and it is this about Abraham, and that was that he was a giver. He was a giver. 
He gave to others, and he gave to God. Go back to Genesis 13. He gave to others. Genesis 13 and verse 5. The Bible says this. It says, Now Lot was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So listen to what happens here. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go to the right. If you go right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up. Lot, all of a sudden now, had the whole land in front of him. He said, man, I've got first pick. All right, here's what I'm going to do. Listen to what the Bible says. Lot looked up and saw the whole land of the plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself. I want you to see this. The difference between Abraham and Lot, Lot was a taker, Abraham was a giver. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. And the two men parted company. I'll stop reading right there. The Bible tells us this, that Abraham looked up and he said, let me be a giver. He would feel in some ways entitled to take the best, wouldn't he? He's Abraham. God had entrusted Abraham with the promise. God had given him a promise and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. So that the guy who's going to be a great nation really should have first, first pick, right? Fair's fair. You know, he's the big, you know, the big guy. Abraham steps back and says, Lot, choose. Go ahead and choose. Whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. That way there will be no fighting. There will be peace. We're family. It shouldn't be this way. Whatever you pick. Lot looks out there and says, awesome. Look down there. It's so good. You know, you would think that he would say, oh, you know, Abraham, that looks so good for you down there. You're Abraham. Why don't you take that now? I'll, I'll go over here. He didn't do that. Abraham was a giver. He looked at others and he said, let others be cared for. Let others be taken care of. Let me give to others. So many times in our lives, we are takers, we're takers, 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 and we take it and we take it. And you know what? When you're a taker, you can never get enough. Because eventually, the Bible says that as Lot moved toward Sodom, he moved in the plain toward Sodom. He then eventually then pitched his tent near Sodom. He sat in the gate of Sodom. And then finally, he lived in Sodom to the point where now he and his family had to be pulled out of the place. And they didn't even want to leave when it was about to be destroyed. Amazing. You see, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Abraham's treasure was on something else because Hebrews tells us about him that he was looking for a city who, that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. His heart was set on something that was greater than anything this world had to give. Not only did he give to others, but he gave to God. Genesis chapter 14, and we're going to end up here. The Bible says this in verses 18 and 20. 
of Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be, the, uh, blessed be God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram, get this, gave him, this Melchizedek, both a king and a priest, a tenth of everything. I don't know that we really comprehend the wealth of Abraham. Abraham was not this poor nomad moving about from place to place who had nothing. The wealth was so great of this man. And now here comes this strange figure, this strange person that all of a sudden now is going to be talked about in the book of Hebrews as somebody who is similar to Christ, that Christ would be a priest forever according to Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. We don't know when he died, if he did. We don't know anything about this guy. He is so mysterious that now Jesus is seen as both king and priest according to the order, not of Levi, the Old Testament priesthood according to Moses, but according to Melchizedek. Because he had no beginning, from what we can tell. Had no ending, from what we can tell. So somehow, Jesus is seen as similar. Abraham paid tithe to him. He gave to God. And brothers and sisters, I realize today that even that concept of paying tithes and giving of our tithes has come under great scrutiny in our New Testament age. There are churches even today that are teaching, it's not important, it's not a big deal, it's no, you don't need to do all of that. That's, that's an Old Testament teaching. We see it in the New Testament, and I've pointed that out in the past when I've spoken on this topic and preached on this subject, but I want you to see that this man didn't just go along saying, God, give me, give me, give me, but he gave back to God. Brothers and sisters, in our lives, let us become givers and do what Jesus tells us to do. Render to Caesar what Caesar's, April 15th. And I render to my daughter what is my daughter's because she was born that day too. But render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what belongs to God. He was a giver. He gave not only to people, but he gave to God. Abraham is one of the prime examples of men and women. He is a classic, not just on one event, on one occasion, but on many different occasions. He shows us in this New Testament age how it is that we are to be. He is Father Abraham. And you know what? We need to learn to be what God called this man to be, we need to learn to be and be like him and follow in his example of faith, of giving, of prayer, and say, God, let me do my best for you. Let me be my best for you. I wonder if we could stand to our feet right now.